So we'll start this morning with some review, um, just to remember where we're at. So we've been talking about the doctrine of justification by faith. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we started by talking about what is the requirement of God's law. That is, what is the, what is the twofold requirement that we have as sinners? That is not just to keep God's law in perfect perpetual obedience, but having broken God's perfect law, we also are under a curse. That is, there is punishment for that law. And so when it comes to justification, we are thankful because Christ has not just given us a second chance, but he has truly kept the law in full obedience for us, and he has truly borne our curse in his body on the tree. And so with this in mind, we moved on the next week to discuss justification by faith alone. And we wrestled with a seeming contradiction between the way Paul talks about justification and James talks about justification. And we spoke about the importance of reading our Bibles in this way, where, we, where we not just, we're not just reading, um, if you will, through the canon, but we're comparing text to text and we're wrestling with them and saying, if God is one and his word is one, then I must wrestle with these things and put them together in a way that they do truly harmonize and I can understand what is the truth being said in these. And so by putting ourselves under the text, we, we came and saw that justification is by faith alone, and yet there is much confidence gained by obedience to the law when, having been justified, we are freed to, to that perfect law of liberty. So today, we're continuing to think about justification that we have in Christ, but we're coming to it um, to think about or wrestle with what we might call the the motive of God in justification. So I want to start by asking a couple questions, and I won't, I won't answer them immediately, but I want you to think about them as we go. True or false, in the justification of sinners, God's exact justice is satisfied. On your behalf. I think we would say true. True or false, because, because God is just, he had to send Jesus to die instead of us. It was the only way to get Jesus' justice satisfied. He was compelled to justify us as sinners. We have to deny this. We have to say, no, God wasn't, God wasn't held to do this by some higher law outside of himself. It was purely of God's free benevolence that he chose to do what he did for us. Nevertheless, there would be no satisfaction of God's law for our behalf, had it not been for the Christ's dying. But we want to wrestle with this from the Bible as, as it as, um, is given to us. And so I think the, the theme that we're talking about today, as I, as I wrestled with the topic that was presented to us in the London Baptist Confession, I was trying to think, okay, what are they getting at with these? They reference these texts, and they're putting this paragraph together, what are they really trying to show us from the Word of God? What is it that they saw? And it seems to me that, and I'll read it in a moment so that we can at least have that in mind as to why we're approaching this topic, but it seems to me they're wrestling with a tension, or maybe we should say, asking the question, is the cross of Christ a compromise between God's justice and God's mercy? Is it, is because we, we must say in some way, if you will, there's a narrative tension in the Bible between God's absolute holiness and the benevolence of God to overlook sins and forgive. 
The question is, does the cross resolve that by somehow meeting in the middle or somehow compromising that? We say absolutely not. Absolutely not. God's justice and God's mercy are both compounded and held to the highest standard in the cross of Christ. And so we truly are to worship from our heart the God who is just and the God who is a justifier of sinners. We must truly hold that what God did on the cross glorifies not only halfway his justice and halfway his mercy, but fully, to the nth degree, the just righteousness and purity of God and to the nth degree, to its fullest, the greatest measure that we could see, the glory of his rich grace and mercy toward us. And so, I'm going to read how they phrase this, and we'll just pay attention to this little contrast in there yet, and it'll show you this, this contrast that they're wrestling with. I'll just read it from the confession, and then we'll, we'll wrestle with the scriptures. Paragraph 3 of chapter 11 says, this is what what our uh, Baptist forefathers had, had understood God's word to teach. It says, Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully satisfy, or sorry, did fully discharge the debt of all those who are justified and did by the sacrifice of himself in the blood of his cross, undergoing in their stead the penalty due them, make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice on their behalf. Yet, inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them, and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead, and both freely, not for anything in them, their justification is only of free grace, that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. So our, our central topic in justification, or sorry, our central text has been Romans chapter 3. So if you're there, you can turn to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to start there because this gives us almost word for word what we just read from, um, from this confession. So we've been in the second part of Romans chapter 3, and in verse 26, we'll focus, but I'm going to start a little bit sooner again. 23, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And we've already seen in the previous weeks that justification is, in many respects, truly a legal concept. The Bible speaks of it as a transaction where God himself declares righteousness to sinners. And thus we stand before him, quite apart from our own works, in Christ's works, purely righteous and holy. But it's, I think, common for us as humans to sort of wrestle with that and think, well, if it was purely legal, if, if the purpose of Christ dying was purely legal, doesn't that, doesn't that sort of detract from the fact that it was gracious? I mean, it was a, it was a legal thing. It was somewhat impersonal, right? Well, not, a, not at all. 
Um, another way you might have heard this was, would be to say, maybe someone has told you before, why did Christ have to die? If God truly was going to be merciful, wouldn't he had just forgiven us, just flat out? If you forgive someone, don't you just forgive them? You don't then require some restitution by someone else. I'll forgive you if, as long as, I'm not actually offended in this transaction. Well, this, is, this would be a, um, perhaps a difficult thing to answer if we did not have a proper understanding of what God was aiming to do when he justified sinners. Sure, it was full of grace and mercy, but grace and mercy is really not all that it is shown to be if there is not a justice that was, that was uh, sinned against. For example, if, uh, if we were to offend our brother, right, but we knew our brother was a scallywag, he had no moral scruples to begin with, he was kind of rude all the time, he was inconsistent, he had no um, really givings for what is good and what is wrong, and you went over to his house and you, you offended him, and then after some time he forgave you with no, with no care. Is that mercy? Well, I mean, to some extent. But is it really mercy? Or is it just indifference on his part? However, if there is a God who is truly, truly righteous and holy in all respects, and then when you have transgressed against that righteousness, he comes and of his own free benevolence gives you mercy, is that grace? Is that grace not so much richer because the justice is so much higher. This is, the, this is the pinnacle that the Bible is drawing us to. If we think about Romans, verse 26, that he would be both just and the justifier, what is the essence of being just? It's righteousness. It's executing righteousness, pure holiness. What is the essence of being a justifier? It is one who makes someone righteous, who takes that exact justice and satisfies it on behalf of another. And if those two things are to come together, this is to show God's grace, God's rich grace. And this is what we want to linger on. So last week we compared James and Romans. Today we're comparing Romans and Ephesians. So turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. going to read the first part of, let's say, verses 3 through, uh, for sake of time, I'm going to read verses 3 through 11, and then we're going to jump to chapter 2 quickly. And we're, we're looking for the theme of God's rich grace in the saving of sinners. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And turning to chapter 2. Starting in verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness, riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we're talking about the motive of justification. And in Ephesians, we see two things. First, we saw in chapter 1, the repetition. Why did he do it? Well, he did it according to the counsel of his own will. He did it, who, he says, he who predestined everything according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Or in verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Um, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved, we have redemption through him according to the riches of his grace, in verse 7, making known to us the mystery of his will, which he set forth in Christ. And so the first thing that we want to say is, was God compelled to do this by something outside of himself? Was there some higher standard that he had to meet in order to make us justified? And that's really why we were justified. We're the byproduct of some other transaction. No, God is free. God is free to do all that he pleases. And it was his free, kind will to come and justify sinners like us. And then we ask, why would he justify sinners like us? And the answer is, from both Romans and Ephesians, twofold. Not only did he want to display his justice, he wanted to show us the riches of his grace, the abundant riches of his pure kindness towards those who deserve otherwise. That is, he wanted to say, we think of the great accuser in heaven, Satan, who stands and would say, Christ, your heaven is full of sinners. And Christ in heaven declares, yeah, that's because of my lavish grace, my rich grace. This is what Ephesians chapter 2, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards Christ Jesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So I ask, why did God justify sinners? To satisfy his justice? Maybe to honor Christ's work? Maybe to demonstrate his grace? Or did he freely choose to glorify both his exact justice and his exact righteousness? And we must say, this is why he came and justified sinners. This is why. It might be helpful for us to think about what are some ways that we commonly um, misconstrue Christ's cross to be a compromise rather than a culmination of all that God is for sinners. Do we sometimes, uh, are we sometimes drawn to think about God's grace freely and quite squirm under the thought that 
it was done to satisfy God's exact justice and holiness. Or maybe the other way around. Do we have such a view of God that his exact justice and holiness grips our mind and we think, there's no way I'm saved. I'm a sinner. And we are unwilling to yield to the fact that God declares this to be a picture not merely of his justice, but of his free grace towards us. Brothers and sisters, God would have you to hold both these things in your mind. That when you think of his cross, you would think not merely of his holiness exacting upon you, and not merely of his grace towards you, but a pinnacle of benevolence towards you because of the highest holiness that existed and ever would exist in Christ our Savior. So inasmuch as God's justice and grace resolve at the cross, it is no compromise, but it is a compounding and glorification of both of these truths. And this is what I think the writers of this confession were aiming to put at. Inasmuch as it was a legal transaction, yet God had accepted it all of his own free will and free grace. And so God was neither compelled to do it, nor was Christ demanded to do it. But both of these things, working together in perfect harmony, did satisfy and display God's justice for all and his grace for all. Any questions? Any questions? We're ending a little. Was God compelled to do it from within himself? I'm not sure if that's a helpful way or not to think about it. I would say, I would say God did it of his own free will and free character, right? Um, but very, very closely tied to that, right? If, if we say God was compelled to do all that he did in redemption of his own nature, we would just want to be careful that we're not saying that he was compelled to do it by some nature that he was somehow at odds with, right? He's not a mixture of, of uh, motives, right? So as to say he had to suppress one and be compelled by another. But in so much as you mean that to say purely of God's freedom is as much a nature of God as his justice and his holiness, then we would say all of it is of God's nature. And so if, if you want to use the word compelled or that he did it, I don't know if I'm making sense. I, when I think of compelled, I, th- always, I can't divorce it necessarily from something outside of himself, but as long as that compelled is grounded within God, I think we could come to terms with that. So in the following weeks, we're going to try to wrap up justification. There's a few more paragraphs. Um, When do we experience justification? In time. Um, And then also, when did God decree justification? And we'll kind of land on the the last paragraph there. Was justification the same in the Old Testament and the New? That is, is there some other mechanism by which saints were saved in the Old Testament? Or were they saved only always by the blood of of the cross? And we'll answer in the latter. So, all right. With no uh, with no questions, we'll end a little bit early. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your kind benevolence towards us as sinners. That we, while we were still wallowing in our sin, you justified us and you saved us. 
Lord, we, we praise you that we reflect on the cross not merely as a display of divine wrath upon a holy, your holy son, but also as a display of your son and you, truly, the God, God's own revelation of his kind benevolence towards sinners. That you took it on yourself to save those to the uttermost who you died for. And we praise you this day as we think of perhaps peculiarly the resurrection of Christ. And we think of that joyous news that he is risen. We pray that we would what we would um, be thinking of is what, if he was risen, then he died. And what death did he die but a death to sin? And Lord, he bore our own sins in his body. That is, our particular, peculiar sins. He purchased us as he purchased a bride in love. And we ask that you would help us to truly reflect on this in, in a full humility, understanding we had neither the beginning nor the end of our justification, but it was all of free grace. We ask that you would lay this upon our hearts, that we would be full of thanksgiving to you. In your name, amen.